Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this Thursday morning. It's a great, great day. And, you know, we have Michael Peck on. He's been on before. And Michael has been a great friend of this show. He's gift, he's just introduced us to so many people in the cooperative space. Uh, David Levine from ASBC and Roger Green in Center of Brooklyn. Uh, he's also introduced us to folks at Mondragon and Preston in the UK. And I've been down to Co-op Cincy in, in Cincinnati about four times for their, their annual meetings, and I want to be involved with this time. He also introduced us to the folks in L.A. in downtown Crenshaw. Mike has just been a great, great friend to this, to this program. Thank you, Mike, and good morning. Good morning, Vernon. Thank you. And also want to thank your producer, Pat Thornton, who uh, the two of you are just unbelievably great. Well, we have a mutual respect society going on here. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. So this morning, I'd like if you would give us some more updates of what you're working on and what some of these people you've introduced us to are working on. And so let's start off with David Levine and AFBC Council. What, what, are, what are you guys working on now? Sure. Well, if, if you're anywhere near a website or you're anywhere near incoming email, ASBC is on fire. This is the American Sustainable Business Council. They have over 250,000 triple bottom line businesses across the United States as members. They've teamed up with the Social Venture Circle, which are 700 of the top uh, social impact investors, and they are, they are on fire. There's at least uh, one or two world-class policy events a day. They're impacting every component of sustainable policy that this administration is undertaking. They're in states uh, and local governments. And, you know, they're, they're really reaching out and driving the new uh, sustainable business framework for how the economy and the economy that works for all is going to survive and thrive. And one of the key things they're doing is they're working on ESGs, environmental social governance frameworks and metrics, KPIs, which are key performance indicators, and they're focusing on the critical theme of, of the trade-off between taking responsibility for externalities and profitability. And I think this is so important for cooperatives and social enterprises uh, to have an equal seat at the global standards and metric setting tables because, you know, uh, Bank of America has reported that four out of every ten dollars of investment now are going to ESG type companies. And with the global pandemic and climate change, these two big tsunamis coming at us, uh, the world's realized uh, that the business community and the financial community have to do things differently. They have to transition from from sort of extractive shareholder primacy to regenerative stakeholder primacy. Center the human being back in the middle of the equation. And on the investment side, ESGs, environmental social governance, frameworks and metrics, 
are how it's happening. And ASBC is carving out a big seat for itself at this table. And what's your role with them? How are you working with them? My role? Yeah. Well, I'm on the, I'm on the board of ASBC. I'm a board secretary. But One Worker, One Vote is a member. And, um, you know, when, when you're movement building and organizing, the first lesson is humility because you can't do it all. And if you did try to do it all, you know, you wouldn't do a lot of things well. So we try to stick to our lane, uh, which is building hybrid, uh, hybrid shared ownership systems, starting with union co-ops throughout the country and now, and now the globe. And ASBC has been our policy partner for the past uh, decade, taking uh, the policy aspects of what we do to the state level, to the national level, and to the global level. There's a new relationship between ASBC and the Social Economy Europe organization. They have 2.8 million members. So combining the two, you have over 3.2 million members focused on, and that includes cooperatives, social enterprises. This gives us a transatlantic force numerically and also in terms of content that qualifies for a seat at any policy table. Uh, ASBC has been instrumental in putting that together and creating critical mass so that, you know, we don't feel like we're doing onesies and twosies or out there in the hinterlands. We feel part of a very connected, powerful, innovative, and good-hearted community. Fantastic. Fantastic. And what's their webpage? What's, how can people get a hold of them? www.asbcouncil.org. Dot org. That's from memory, so, so, okay. so check me on that. And so you've also been working with Roger Green and the folks up in Brooklyn and New York, and they have a workers' guarantee lab in New York City. What, what is all of that about? <laughs> so working with Roger Green, my brother Roger Green is like holding on to Proteus, and I, I hope he... Um, I hope he hears me saying this, and probably because Roger has a good idea a minute and the skill sets to articulate it and put it in motion. I mean, Roger is an idea factory. So Roger, together with Carmen Huertas Noble, who created the Community Economic Development Clinic at Kitty Law School and was last year's recipient of the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame awardee, you know, the top the top award in, in the U.S. cooperative community, co-founder of One Worker, One Vote, and a bunch of us got together and we took a, a, a really close look at the so-called conversion tsunami that everybody was talking about and doing something about uh, sort of pre-COVID. And that was, you know, all the boomers and all the industries that were not going to be continued by retiring boomer generations and the opportunity to turn those into, you know, worker-owned worker-owned enterprises. And, you know, we've, what we've been finding is that it's been a good process and there are some successes, but there's also some course corrections we need to put into place. Uh, and the Workers' Guarantee Lab is, is all about that. Basically, when, when an owner of an enterprise wants to sell her or his enterprise to the workers, you have consultants that are hired to help affect the transaction and help convert the enterprise into something that's that's worker-owned. So let me ask you a question first, Michael. How many of these, when you say a conversion tsunami, about how many of these um, businesses in the U.S. or what percentage of the businesses in the U.S. are owned by baby boomers that could be converted into co-ops? I've heard a whole slew of figures. Some go as high as, you know, thousands of businesses a year. 
all across the country for over a decade. So, you know, thousands of businesses a year times 10 years in a decade, a lot of businesses and, you know, millions of jobs that uh, could be localized and protected if the industries, if these industries in question that are owned by retiring boomers, you know, transcend their vertical ownership structure into a more horizontal one and leave it to the employees of the enterprise and, and, and the hosting community. So the answer, Vernon, is, you know, quite a lot. You know, but in order for this to happen, in order for this to be real, what we've learned is that the workers have to be equally represented uh, as, as, as the owners are. And, uh, you know, in, in this scenario, the owner, the departing owner, sort of gets to decide the structure that the workers, the aspiring worker owners who will inherit the industry, including, including its debt to pay off the departing owner, that owner gets to decide the structure. And we don't think that's fair. We think that the workers should have equal say in deciding that structure, and they should have a structure that is that is best for their own culture, their own local culture that appeals intrinsically to them. And so in order to do that, in order to equalize the equation, we've come up with the Workers Guarantee Lab concept, which uh, is, a, is a central tenet in what we're calling an economic uh, democracy approach to our ecosystems, our worker ownership, um, minority business enterprise, union co-op ecosystem we're developing in central Brooklyn uh, under the leadership of Roger and others, Carmen and others, and um, focused on the healthcare sector. And we want to make sure that uh, there's a transaction guarantee platform uh, so that we have fair and transparent conversion practices where unions are welcome. And so, you know, I think that this is this is a good addition to a good process uh, to make it even better. Make it better. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Carmen because you had introduced us to Carmen also, and she's just a wonderful human being. And she was the first one on the show that said that uh, essential workers are not treated as if they're essential. They're not paid essential pay. They're not paid a living wage. We need them, and the pandemic has shown that we need them. We depend on them. They're essential for our survival, and that's everybody, whether you're rich or poor. They are essential, but we don't pay them as if they are essential. And I hear you, what I hear you saying both in what ASBC is doing and a Workers Guarantee Lab is giving workers more of a voice so they can get the pay they need through cooperatives, get the voice that they need through cooperatives, and so they, they will feel as if they are central and be paid. Vernon, you nailed it. That's it. You nailed it. Because, look, gig economy is rising while permanent employment is, is falling. And now when permanent workers outnumber permanent employees. Uh, so you have this growing minority precariat that's becoming a majority minority precariat. And um, we're not paying them enough uh, to do the jobs uh, that are helping everybody else live the lives they want. There's something basically intrinsically unfair about that, and it's time we change it around. So Carmen, as usual, she's the moral center of our, our movement. Carmen's right. Carmen is right. Uh, now, we can stop this program right here with that one. Okay, <laughs> we're going to keep going <laughs> and talking. We'll shift from New York to California. And so in California, they're having a Cooperative Economy Act to also help to straighten this out. What's that yes. about? Yes, so this is this is led by Ray Cristicello, who's um, uh, she's a one worker, one vote 
advisory board member, uh, but also the deputy uh, research director for the nurses, uh, SEIU Nurses Union, SEIU UHW, and one of the most successful union co-op organizers it's ever been my privilege to um, collaborate with. And, and basically, Cooperative Economy Act, or CEA, it solves rampant worker misclassification as independent contractors so that, you know, companies like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash can't deny them basic protections and benefits of formal employment, including access to individual family and community living wages. It also allows, uh, CEA allows for a unionized workplace as well as an equity share and workplace democracy. It solves antitrust issues. And so uh, this, le this legislation, which is two-year legislation, it was uh, put in the docket this year. So uh, the, the stakeholders are committed to seeing this legislation come to life. The nation has dire need for a nationwide solution for mistreated gig workers, especially coming out of the pandemic where everyone was essential but still, you know, forgotten, uh, used and abused. We've got we've to take a break now, Mike. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. We'll talk okay. more about the central workers uh, in California, New York, and all around the U.S. We'll be right back. Yes, Don't sir. touch that down. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, program with Everything Cooperative. Michael, we were talking about California when we uh, took the break and the Cooperative Economy Act. And what I'm hearing, in whether it's AFBC or what's going on in New York or in California, it's all about what I call six pandemics. That's COVID-19, how we overcome COVID-19, when we come out of COVID-19, what are we doing? I don't want the old economy. I want to build back better, as Biden said, but I think we can do that through co-ops. How do we overcome racism that COVID uncovered the, the sort of the, what has happened to people, particularly with pre-existing conditions because of racism, uh, and George Floyd's murder has shown it. And then we have climate change, and everything is pointing to me of what happens when we get one degree change in, in temperature. It is phenomenal with fires and hurricanes, etc. So then we have the economy has gone bad because of COVID, particularly for the majority of, of humanity. Not the one percent of seem to have done well, but the majority of humanity. And I have guns because people are killing each other. And then I, I have the sixth one I call stupidity, which is people don't believe COVID. They think it's a hoax. They don't believe climate change. They think it's a host and all of these things. So what you're talking about is how we overcome this stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it that way. But so far in the first three, we've talked about ASBC and the Workers Guarantee Lab in New York and the Cooperative Economy Act in California. It's all addressed in these these pandemics, these the stuff that is hurting the U.S. economy and the world economy. Any comment on that? Yes, well, Vernon, your optic is, is completely correct. There's a million points of light here, not a thousand. Your optic is absolutely correct. All over the country, people are not just building it back better. They're building it back better and fairer. 
And that's not an original idea. We got that idea from the World Fair Trade Organization that One Worker, One Vote is partnered with to promote policies between worker cooperatives and, and fair trade companies. So building it back fairer means just transition. Uh, just transition means inclusion. It means nobody left behind. So with the heat dome over the Pacific Northwest, we have a nationwide water emergency. So now the country has got to come together and come up with solutions that are fresh uh, water access centric uh, so that this doesn't become the next irreversible decline that you know marks our national DNA forever. Same with the global pandemic, the biomedical pandemic. Uh, the biomedical pandemic, you know, over 600,000 people dead in the United States. That, that, is, that is something that we will not get over for generations, for generations, those who, those who have lost their loved ones. You know, for breathing in the wrong way at the wrong time. I mean, you know, the average human takes 22 breaths a minute. How do we control something like that without good policy, without concerted cooperative values, without understanding that the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts. Um, we have to have those qualities in order to come back from something like that. And now, and now, and now um, systemic racism and also uh, its cousin, which is socioeconomic poverty, economic class-based poverty that is generational and geography-based so that, you know, you dial your zip code and the actuarial tables can tell you how long a life you get to live and under what circumstances. I mean, you know, we thought that we left Calvinism behind in the United States, but now we're the country where social mobility is the worst, not the best. So all these different pandemics, equally miserable to those who suffer and die from them, have got to be solved. And we have, you know, we have to do it in a very concerted, multitasking way and make sure that everybody's part of this new solution and build better frameworks and, and better structures. Well, Michael, one of the things that's, that's strange to me is that we had over right over 100,000 people die in World War I, 400,000 in World War II, Korean War, 36,000, Vietnam War, 58,000, Gulf War, 383, Iran, Afghanistan, 6,000, almost 7,000. You know, that comes to almost the same amount of people that have been killed in in this year with people taking the wrong breath, that, that being at the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. So I think because this has happened so, these deaths have happened and happened, and it's so people sort of get, like, used to it almost. But if you, it's, it's almost as many people died in all of these wars since World War One. And it's this tremendous amount of people in this COVID-19 pandemic. And that has shown us a lot. And as Carmen is saying, we got to treat essential workers as if they're treated. And that's most of the workers here. So, yeah, I, I get it. That's right, Vernon. And it also it calls out for us to have a wide lens to make our, our solutions broader and deeper, more inclusive, more representative. Because... In terms of solving for the economy of the future, it's organic, the bottom up, that where all the, re the great returns on an investment lie. It's not serving the top that you know, can socially distance without any, any change of lifestyle. It's everybody else. And we're an economy where you know, 69 to 70% of the GNP is still uh, consumer spending. So let's take that power and match it with 
democratic and innovative policy and change our structures and flatten the curves. Flatten the curves. So flatten the curves. The National Energy Just Transition Center out of Ohio University is doing that. And who are they doing that for? Who are they flatten the curve for? How, who are they helping? Right. Right. This is this is a up and coming solution out of uh, Ohio University's Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service, uh, which is extremely appealing uh, because uh, it talks about no energy workers and their hosting communities left behind. It talks about moving to a greener, a greener and cleaner future and present, but in combination with all the stakeholders. So that would be the AFL-CIO uh, Labor Energy Partnership, the Blue Green Alliance, Reimagine Appalachia, the Ohio AFL-CIO, uh, West Virginia Building Trades Council, and and many others, including cooperative leaders and industry partners, to get all these stakeholders inside the policy room and drive consensus on how we can all help each other to help ourselves and do it in a way where equity, workplace equity, social equity, climate equity is front and center. That's one of the things I like about the environmental social governance conversation that we've had, Vernon, is because for the first time, we have four equity flows on the table, four capital flows. We have human, human or labor, we have social or societal, we have climate, and we have financial. And this new stakeholder economy focus is how do we put those four financial flows, those four financial resources on the table equally and get them to converge to be mission-driven, purpose-driven, values-driven, so that we come up with virtuous cycles instead of vicious cycles, so they come up with bubble up and gusher up instead of top-down, and, and down trickle down and yes. trickle down right and 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 build a more inclusive economy that works for all so when you say no one left behind in energy um being from bluefield west virginia my grandfather worked in the mines my father worked on the railroad which helped move the coal from the mines throughout the u.s and the world so i my history is in this energy side is coal side and when you go back to West Virginia you'd find that a lot of people are are out of work so how are they helping these people get jobs when the coal jobs are gone so you know the, the miners union declared something very interesting uh, a few months ago they they said that look uh, we know that coal is transitioning it's not the future and we're willing to work with everybody but please do not leave us out of the mix you know in French you would call this a cri de coeur a cry from the heart but it's also it's also an opportunity for people to take the mine workers seriously and to come up with policies and projects and and enterprises and ecosystems and investments and infrastructure that transition them. So, again, in the Voinovich School uh, at, at Ohio University, we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about, you know, what what is the best way to transition a coal worker? Do you say, okay, you're going to go from coal worker to software coder? That sometimes works, but sometimes it doesn't. People so that have had dignified lives and jobs deserve 
a dignified continuation of those lives and those jobs. So let me and, let me stop you right there because we've got to take sure. our second break and we'll come back and talk about dignified lives and jobs. And jobs. <laughs> we'll be right back. Everybody, please don't touch that down. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Brent. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We have Michael Peck on the line. So we were talking about National Energy Just Transition Center out of Ohio University in southeast Appalachia, and that's home for me. I mean, at least Appalachia is. And you're talking about just jobs, fair wages, and jobs. And you were giving us some examples of the kinds of jobs people that work in mines could get now. Yes, so so this is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, southeastern Ohio, Appalachian, Ohio, and with a, with a tremendous focus through the National Energy Just Transition Center, they're standing up to effect a just transition on all levels for America's coal communities, and um, that means uh, training for displaced miners, that means converting coal-fired power plants into 24-7 zero emission uh, dispatchable power while keeping the employment of those plants, something that's already underway. That means taking products that are produced from coal and coal remains and turning them into commercially viable uh, businesses. It's the whole gamut so that these communities and these workers are not abandoned, but they benefit from reinvestment, they benefit from inclusion, uh, they benefit from innovation and they benefit from the promise that's due to them for their sacrifices. So all this is happening. There's a lot of proposals moving forward, but uh, we, have, we have the idea of a center uh, that will um, help us focus and deliver on these efforts. And, and, and the school has built an amazing set of partnerships with all the stakeholders, led by the amazing Stephanie Howe, and we have high hopes for uh, what we can do. I have another example, Vernon, if you'd like me to go into that, uh, something similar in another industry. Yes, by all means. So, people like the amazing Margaret Bao, one of the great cooperative developers of our, of our time, have been working with um, people in Wisconsin Rapids and uh, Park Falls on uh, pulp paper mills and helping to uh, convert those enterprises into cooperative local stakeholder, stakeholder ones, just like the International Machinists Union did with the New England Loggers Cooperative, which has been, you know, so successful. So uh, right now, uh, they formed the Timber Professionals Cooperative, which has helped to form two multi-stakeholder cooperatives, Consolidated Cooperative and Park Falls Mill Cooperative, that would acquire and operate the two mills. Each of these two cooperatives have three membership classes, the loggers, the mill workers, and industry allies. And um, this would be a, a great example of taking a mature industry that's highly competitive and allowing the workers and the hosting communities uh, to make them more competitive, and more productive, uh, and saving local economies. So we, ha we have great hopes for this, and um, you know, we are actively trying to support the work that Margaret and others are doing in any way we can. Fantastic. 
So it's happening all over the U.S. It's happening bigger than I even know is happening or think is happening. And I'm in this every week on with talking with somebody, but it's nice having you on, giving us a sense of what is going on throughout the U.S. and the world. And, and speaking of the world and some of the things that's going on in the world, talk to us about what's going on with Mondragon and Preston, U.K. Now, you, we have had somebody on to talk to us about Preston once before, but what's going on there in the U.K.? So, first of all, you had Julian Manley and others leading the Preston model. Matthew Brown, Julian Manley, Mick, and others, Alex, uh, the whole team, Scylla Ross, there's quite a team there. So there's two groups. There's, there's the Preston UK model and actual, actual ecosystem. And there's Union Co-ops UK, which is, um, I must say, it is a center of much innovation for us here in the Union Co-op world in the US. And we're very grateful for our partnership with them. Uh, so, you know, Preston went from being from the bottom of the heat to the top of the heat by learning how to transform anchor institutions into uh, stakeholder institutions by teaming up with Mondragon and learning from 70 years of cooperative ecosystem practices uh, and then taking those practices and forming a cooperative bank and now most recently uh, Preston Cooperative Education Center, PCEC, which is a union co-op. And what's so interesting, and the first of its kind in the UK, what's so interesting is that you know Mondragon, through the efforts of the bank side, and our good friend Iban Zugasti from Mondragon LKS, the consulting side, ecosystem lessons from Mondragon to Preston. And then in the US, we get to understand and learn from what they're doing and, and try to take those lessons back over here. So we really have a, a triangular transatlantic partnership uh, where we're learning and doing from each other. That is phenomenal. It's also interesting because we've had different people on the show David Thompson being one talking about the the connection between the UK cooperative world and the civil rights movement going far back as Frederick Douglass. So it's it, this connection has been around a long time where the people in the UK cooperative world helped to fund Frederick Douglass's payment to release him from slavery to make him a freed man. And so it goes back a long, long, long way. And what I'm hearing you say is that the Preston model and the union model in Preston is helping the union model here. And can you give us an example of what is that union model? So we're learning a lot of things from Preston. We're learning how to set up enterprises in a, in a very deliberate, formal way. We're learning how to bring in more stakeholders uh, the UK Cooperative College, headed by Scylla Ross. I mean, Scylla came over to Cincinnati the same time you did, Vernon, at the last um, biennial conference in 2019. There's a really good discussion on how to develop uh, healthcare cooperatives, how to balance unions and cooperatives in public and private sectors so that we live up to the promise of the Rochdale pioneers, you know, in the 1840s, where cooperatives and unions started from the same geographical location where, you know, Preston is, ep is epicenter and, uh, and, and took the world by storm. And, you know, they, they united in their origins and then 
cooperatives and unions sort of separated over time, uh, sometimes even, you know, autarkically because reasons of politics and culture and history. But now with the tsunamis, the pandemic tsunamis facing us, as you described, the uh, biomedical COVID pandemic tsunami, the inequality, socioeconomic inequality, systemic racism tsunamis, we can't afford separation. We have got to rejoin with vigor and conviction and become one again and um, connecting all these geographies to others. I mean, you know, we see this movement uh, springing up everywhere in Latin America, other parts of Europe, in Africa, in Asia. I mean, there's really no part of the world. There's going to be thousands of people coming to the World Cooperative Congress on 1 to 3 to December this year. We have a panel at the World Cooperative Congress Research Conference where Mondragon, the World Fair Trade Organization, ASBC, and One Worker, One Vote will talk about ESGs, environmental social governance again, and humanity at work. There's the ASB Social Venture Circle Winter Conference in 8 to 10 December. We have the um, Cincinnati 5th Global Union Co-op Symposium on November 12th and 13th, Economics of Well-Building, Building a Just Economy. We have the NCB Co-op Impact Conference October 4 to 8th. And right around the corner, we have the next uh, Union Co-ops UK Preston Conference uh, called Decent Work for a Better World that builds on the uh, Manifesto for Dec Decent Work Conference of July of, of last year. So and that's on October 1st and 2nd. And they're considering the idea of a live stream so that people can log in from anywhere. So we have this whole drum roll of conferences that are going to be talking about how to build back better and fairer, how to exchange ideas, how to best practices, how to help each other innovate and prosper, how to reach critical mass uh, so that we can actually make these potential promises into realities in our respective communities. You say a lot in a couple of minutes, and I really appreciate all of the work that you're doing and helping to bridge this whether it's Co-op Cincy, November 12th or 13th. And I, I just have it that I'll be going to a lot of different conferences, whether they're virtual. I don't know if I'll go to Seoul, Korea in uh, December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. A lot would depend on what COVID is looking like there and here. But the NCBA Impact Conference on the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, and 8th of October. And this October is a wonderful month because we celebrate the Co-op Heroes, the Co-op Hall of Fame uh, gets inducted on October 7th. And they're doing that because that's my birthday. I mean, they decided to have it on that day to celebrate my I birthday. I couldn't think of a better right, reason, right. Bernard. Yeah. So October is big for me. And then we have, you said, on the 1st and 2nd, the Preston. I hope they make it virtual, although I wouldn't mind going to the U.K., just I don't know if I want to travel now because of COVID, but that would be nice to go there in the Seoul and to Cincy, uh, Cincinnati, November the 12th and 13th. And I really like the Cincinnati conference, the, the people we meet there. But also I went out to their farm, their urban farm. and I Harvest Cooperative, yes. And, you know, I just I, – I wanted to go pick a salad and eat it right there. I mean, it was that lush green – uh, it, it awesome, awesome farm. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're right there, home growing things, uh, getting folks into co-ops, and they're looking worldwide and creating other co-op senses. I know there's one in L.A. Uh, co-op, and, uh, and also Dayton, Dayton. co-op Dayton. 
That's yeah. right. They just opened up the Gem City Market, um, major food desert store in in West Dayton. So, you're right. The seeds are being the seeds are being spread. So, speaking of those seeds, uh, talk to me about what's happening with downtown Crenshaw. We've had four or five of those people on, and again, thank you for telling us about them. But w- where does that sit now? So, downtown Crenshaw Rising DCR has has a cast of of hundreds, maybe thousands, and uh, and many leaders. Uh, one of them, uh, Nikki Okuk, uh, who was a driver along with her mom, Liz Ryder, of Lucy, Los Angeles Union Cooperative Initiative. And Nikki, you know, is an entrepreneur. She's very articulate. You can watch her TED Talk, and she knows her stuff, and she's the, the president of, of DCR. And then Damian Goodman is the executive director, and this is an incredible team. They have managed to put what Heather McGee calls the solidarity dividend into practice. They have summoned and inspired, I would say, the American mosaic to support them. And they've raised over $60 million to buy back the mall that rightfully belongs to their neighborhood uh, in Black LA. And this project is the hope of those who are fighting gentrification and those who are fighting for neighborhood sovereignty. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on DCR to succeed, and not because of the money they've raised, but because the mall rightfully belongs to their neighborhood. Downtown Crenshaw put forth the highest bid, and they won't even be seriously considered, and they have the most money in the bank already, and they've shown that to the seller. The seller just will not sell to them, and they have the best deal. I get that the reason they want to do this is because they say that white developers are the only ones that can create something this big. And Nikki and Damien and the grandmamas there in Crenshaw are saying to the world, no, you're not the only one. We can do this. We have the capabilities. We have the knowledge. Now we have the money. We can do this. And it seemed like there's some way, I call it, Michael, I don't know what you call it, but I call it redlining commercial property in 2021. And I never thought in 2021 we would see this so blatantly. Okay, just will not sell to them, and they have the best deal. That that I I can't get other than total racism. Total, we have to protect that we will make the money. So we put a white developer in there, and they hire all of these white architects and engineers and everybody else, and put in white companies and put in large, uh, very expensive housing, and drive the black folk away from the community gentrification is what it's called and then the white folks will come in with the money and they keep making money they keep making money and the blacks can't it's terrible no no it's worse than terrible it's a crime against humanity and it's a deliberate diaspora of the people that live in 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 this neighborhood and so you know you know if you just if you just google uh deutsche bank i mean there's a bank that has been rightfully punished and caught red-handed committing every crime against humanity under the book from financing terrorism to misrepresenting financial transactions to cheating Americans from the beginning of time and why do we allow them to continue to uh, practice their dastardly arts on the people of of Crenshaw, downtown Crenshaw. That's something that only Los Angeles uh, municipal government and uh, uh, the people that um, are owning that property can decide but 
If you listen to the voices of the people, if you listen to the stakeholders, if you listen to the neighborhoods of L.A., you'll hear a completely different story, completely honest and plausible justification. There's money in the bank from a wide sweep of the American philanthropic uh, mosaic led by Social Venture Circle and many family foundations and incredible givers and way showers who have put their principles um, first. And I think this is a tide that will continue to rise. It's a voice that will not be stylized. And sooner or later, we will see this mall and this neighborhood under the ownership of the people who live there. So I would ask everybody out there to go to downtowncrenshaw.com, D-O-W-N-T-O-W-N-C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W.C-O-M. On the right-hand corner, you'll see a donate button. Donate $5 to them. You'll see it says sign the petition, sign the petition. Let's get a national movement here to let the Deutsche Banks and their brokerage firm and white developers know that they're not the only one that can do this work. We can do this work. That's right. That's right, right, Vernon. And and, and when we get Crenshaw, when Crenshaw frees itself from these chains, then other communities like like Trenton, New Jersey, where April D. Simone, another board member of, of the American Sustainable Business Council, doing incredible work revitalizing the toughest, hardest parts of that city without all the infrastructure that downtown Crenshaw Rising has, desperately in need of similar support. And we can march across this country and go to all these these enclaves and these red line communities, and we can turn them around and put local stakeholders first, inclusively, transparently, with equity, with workplace democracy, and build the economy that works for all, location by location. It is not just a promise or a false hope. It is something we can actually do in this country. We can actually do it, and I really like in downtown Crenshaw, they're putting in co-ops. Yeah. Whether that's right. a... inspired by Mondragon. Mondragon is helping them with ideas. Uh, and, you know, they, they reached out. I mean, this is, this is the way it's going to work in the near future. We just have to, you know, reduce the time differential of the present so the fierce urgency of now, you know, becomes right now. That's what we have to do. Right now. Right now. Right now. And Dr. Elizabeth Ryder, the mother of Nikki Oku, I was... Right. <laughs> On your show. Right. Love Nikki and Damien as, as, you know, like sons or grand <laughs> grandchildren almost, <laughs> son and daughter. And then when I got to talk to her, Nikki's mother, she's been doing this all her life. Is this not a new thing? Downtown Crenshaw, but workplace democracy and it's what she has been doing. Dr. Elizabeth Ryder has been doing all of her life in her study of linguistics with native cultures and I forgot the country she went to and study their cultures through linguistics. So, yeah, we can do this all over, whether that's Tulsa or Detroit or Flint, Michigan or anywhere. Seattle, Washington, anywhere in this Miami, Florida, anywhere. Bluefield, West Virginia, anywhere, small, large, rural. It just doesn't make any difference to get people to the point where they can have a say in what what happens in their workplace and then they will be able to get a piece of the profit. Okay. They get a fair right. a fair wage and a piece of the profit. Yeah. They make the profit. No, I'm, I'm in the amen corner on all that. <laughs> so No, absolutely. I'm in the amen corner of all that. 
And I know, Vernon, we've been talking about Chief, former Supreme Court uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, you know, how she used to talk about the dissenter's journey, where first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And I think we, we really need to have this mentality because all of these tsunamis coming together have created an opportunity for a just transition. The financial people see it through ESGs and KPIs, the Environmental Social Governance Frameworks, where four different capital flows on the table, equalizing themselves through metrics and performance um, that we talked about. We have movements across the country of incredibly talented people. You and I could talk for seven hours and we wouldn't begin to approach the middle of the list of all the talented people doing incredible work. And, and then we have enlightened governments that are understanding what it means to build an organic, transparent, rising economy that works for all. And we have leadership at the top that understands that you know, climate and, and COVID are existential threats to the country. And so is truth and so is democracy. And we need uh, to create economic, social economic structures that reflect these values uh, to keep the country going in the direction it was intended to go. So I think that we, we have a, a moment of incredible optimism, uh, incredible conviction, but also determination to see this through. So talk to us about your book you're writing then and try to put all of this together. What, what is the book that you're coming out with at the end of this year, first of next year? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I'm supporting Dr. Chris Clamp, who is, uh, uh, she's a very famous person, probably the leading U.S. academic expert on Mondragon. I mean, she did her thesis with the five founders. I don't think anybody can really say that, that I know of besides Chris. And uh, it's also taught more, more people, more things about cooperatives than anybody. So, so Chris, who's at Southern New Hampshire University, um, I'm supporting her. We're putting together a book we have. It's called Humanity at Work, uh, Precipitating Change at Thresholds. It talks about uh, accelerating the global diffusion of the Mondragon Cooperative Experience. We're working with people like John Holtzclaw and, and Mary Hoyer, a colleague, by the way, of Liz Ryder, they, they chaired the Union Co-op Council of the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives for at least a decade, if I remember correctly, and many, many others. A lot of young people, young leaders who are the rising stars of this movement, uh, and uh, this book is, is, a, is a trampoline uh, to, to get their ideas and their names out and the good work they're doing. And showing, and showing how this is a, a global movement. We have people from Mondragon and people from Preston submitting chapters. We have people from all over the country. Uh, we have people that helped create the racial equity collaborative in, in, in tribal communities. We, we have an incredible and um, doers and pioneers that will take this book and we hope make it uh, just over the horizon, look into the immediate future uh, building on a, on a much more incredible and inspiring present. So, you know, I, I'm very grateful to be part of this book project because in the end it's it's making us all better. And some of us have a long way to go, but we're working on it. <laughs> okay. Mike, you are doing so much great stuff. It's wonderful. And I know you want to do more, but it's really wonderful the work you're doing. And I admire you for what you're doing and just want to say that publicly. I, I admire you, Vernon, and you and Pat, and the voice that you've given to the cooperative community. 
across the nation and the world because you're doing international interviews with people. Um, and uh, I think that without this voice, we wouldn't understand that the dimensions are yesterday's dimensions and all we have are tomorrow's frontiers. And so I'm very grateful to you. And thank you, sir. We're going to stop there. Live cooperatively. We'll see you next Thursday. Your news talk station. 